Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts, and today we are talking to Tara Harvey, from True North Intercultural, and she's the founder and principal in their work on intercultural learning. She's going to be taking us to school today and telling us all things intercultural learning. I'm super excited. Thank you so much for being here. And for those of you who aren't familiar with you and your work, can you just give us a quick summary of like what you do at True North Intercultural? The best way I like to explain it is that True North Intercultural is kind of like a very niche independent center for teaching and learning that focuses on intercultural teaching and learning. So we train faculty and staff to help them with their own intercultural learning and then to think about how do we bring this type of learning to students. So you are going to be doing a workshop for the Inside Study Abroad community. So we won't be diving deep into like everything you've ever needed to know about intercultural learning on this (laughs) podcast, but we're just going to give you a little teaser, a little taste. And so you can learn more about Tara and why she has an authority on this and why you should listen to her. So let's start, Tara, with your international ed journey. How did you find your way to the work that you do today? Uh, I have a long history in international education, and that's actually what got me interested in intercultural learning. So I think it started maybe in like middle school. Um, My family didn't travel outside the country much or anything like that when I was a kid. But in middle school, I was like, I need to get fluent in a second language. And to do that, I need to study abroad. So seventh grade, signed up for Spanish. And then sophomore year of college at Northwestern University, I walked into the study abroad office and said, I need to study abroad and I need to get fluent in Spanish. And they said, we have a junior year abroad program, which is what study abroad basically was back then in Sevilla, Spain. And I was like, okay, sign me up. And that was it. Uh, So I spent junior year abroad in Sevilla, Spain. Um, And then when I went back to college, you know, was trying to figure out what do I do after I graduate? And like many people, I had actually met someone when I studied abroad, a Spaniard, um, and had a long distance relationship post-study abroad. So I was debating like, do I go to law school? I thought I might want to help immigrants and refugees with law, but law school didn't sound appealing. All I knew was the international stuff was interesting. So I decided to move to Spain, uh, move back to Spain after college to pursue this relationship and also teach English as a foreign language. I got a TEFL certificate and decided to do a master's in international relations there, largely for the experience and the visa, more more than for the actual master's itself. So I spent several years in Spain teaching um, and doing that master's program. And then my uh, partner at the time and I decided to get married and that it was time to move to the United States to pursue my career a little bit more. And somewhere in there, I learned about international education. Like I learned that this was an actual field. And so I got married moved back home with my parents and my spouse stayed in Spain until I had a job. So I was like under pressure to get a job as quickly as I could. And I found NAFSA 
and I was on the NASA website like every day applying to basically any and every entry-level international education. I was not specific about location, about area of international education, applied for everything basically, and it took a while. Uh, I had really no experience other than being an international uh, student myself. Uh, but finally landed a job at Texas A&M University as an international student advisor and started there right in the midst of everything changing to CVIS. For those who aren't familiar, uh, back in 2002, everything went from kind of the immigration paperwork being paperwork to moving online, all the information about all international students had to be plugged into a national database. And I came in right when all of that was happening. So I started as an international student advisor under fire at Texas A&M, eventually moved to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So that's kind of how I got my, my start in the field. Nice. So I have a few follow-up questions. Did you become fluent in Spanish after that junior year abroad? Fluent? Uh, it, probably not. <laughs> Maybe by the standards of some people in the US use the word fluent. Um, yeah. I, I had a, a good relationship with another person in that language. He did not speak any, any English. Uh, but, you know, in my master's presentations, sometimes I use foul language because <laughs> I had learned it on the rugby pitch. And that is the only way I knew how to express myself. <laughs> oh so, my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I oh. got by just fine, but the word fluent is probably not one I would throw around too loosely. I hope that gives a lot of people some empathy and perspective, especially when we think about international students coming to, coming to the US. Like when they're giving presentations, they were like dropping curse words and F-bombs in the presentation, like give them a little slack. They are learning the language. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Well, I just was curious because that, that was a very focused goal that you were like, I got to do this. This, has, this. this is why I'm here and did it successful. Everyone I know who like really learned a language while they were studying abroad almost always found themselves also in a relationship with someone from that that country and it helped so much with with the acquisition. I'm glad you shared your experience with trying really hard to get into the field and casting a very wide net and it taking a long time because I, I think a lot of people especially right now are also going through that. It's just a grind and and they're either not hearing anything back or they're getting or on the flip side they're getting to the final round of something and still not being the one selected so i thank you for sharing that because i feel like we need to share more of those stories that it wasn't always like i fell into it and it just landed in my lap like there's more of these stories i think nowadays of people being like no i was very intentional i discovered this as a field i had a background or some kind of relationship with it from my own experience and it was it was tough. I think, yes, if we can generationally say that there's a whole slew of people who f it fell into their lap and I say, good for them. We are in a new era where that rarely, rarely happens anymore. So if you're listening to this and nothing is just magically falling into your lap, that's okay. Let's fast forward to you were in Wisconsin, right? You said there at the end is where, um, so when did the intercultural learning piece become more of what you were focused on? Yeah, I would say it really started brewing during those years as an international student advisor, because I, I was witness to these great opportunities for intercultural learning. And I felt like I was 
learning interculturally every day. Like I would have a student from Saudi Arabia in my office and then a student from Norway the next minute, their needs, their communication styles, their way of approaching things were totally different. And so I felt like, okay, I'm just in the Midwest here, which is where I grew up, but what a rich learning opportunity. But then I would look around me and I was like, no one else is really taking advantage of this opportunity. Like most of the US students aren't engaging very much with the international students. The professors and, and staff that I talked to, a lot of them were talking about, you know, how international students needed to learn how to do things the way we did things, uh, rather than thinking about, oh, what a great opportunity to understand better uh, where these students are coming from and how things are done there. And so I, I got more and more interested in how do we help everyone in the, who are in intercultural experiences learn more and grow more from these experiences. And so a colleague and I at the UW-Madison at the time started offering intercultural training for some faculty and staff there, like how to work more effectively with international students. And that question just kept percolating for me. And so I decided that I wanted to do uh, PhD studies in the area. And it's funny because I, I had two masters at the time. I had pursued another one at Wisconsin while I was there. And once my boss said, why are you doing a second master's? Why don't you go for a PhD? And I said, I would much rather learn a little about a lot of things than a lot about a little thing. Yeah. And then I found that little thing that I wanted to learn a lot about. And so was really curious about how do we maximize the learning from these experiences started looking at the intercultural literature literature to see who was uh, publishing and where they were teaching um, and kept coming across the name Michael Page, who was uh, a professor at the time and an advisor at the University of Minnesota, which is where I, I'm originally from, it's where I now live again. Um, and my partner and I had been talking about starting a family at this time. So it was kind of serendipitous, it was like, we can move back to my hometown near my family, start, start a family of our own, and I could pursue PhD studies at the same time. So I did a program at the University of Minnesota called Comparative and International Development Education and focused on intercultural learning. And really, I don't even know if I used those words at the time. It was really the max, how do we maximize the learning from these experiences? And Michael Page was really leading the way in doing innovative researching and programming in that area. So it was an opportunity for me to get involved with a lot of innovative intercultural programs. Uh, some people might have heard of the Maximizing Study Abroad research. Uh, there was a course at the University of Minnesota developed around that. I was one of the teaching assistants for that course, teaching an online course that was taught via email at the time to students who were studying uh, around the world at that time. So um, I got a lot of great opportunities in the intercultural field when it was just kind of becoming a field and just really something that people were looking into in international education. And so that led to, uh, after, after my PhD studies, I was the academic director for intercultural learning at CIEE and expanding upon their programs that I had researched in my dissertation. Um, and when I was there, really started to understand that just having good intercultural curriculum is not enough. 
like the educators who are tasked with facilitating that kind of learning really need to have the capacity to do that. And that involves their own intercultural development and also their facilitation skills and facilitating intercultural learning. So I started to focus a lot on coaching and training uh, our study abroad staff around the world and how to facilitate intercultural learning. And eventually uh, universities were coming to me and saying, we, we want that training. And you know how short-term faculty-led study abroad was expanding and it's like all these people now are leading study abroad, but they're an expert in teaching biology or, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. so there's all these people that need to know how to help students maximize their learning on these programs. And so I started True North Intercultural in 2016 to really help universities and educators build that capacity. I feel like where I want to drive it down now to something practical. So going back to your example of like the biology faculty member leading a group to Costa Rica, let's say, what would you tell that faculty member or in that training experience? Obviously you can't teach the whole training in yeah. this little segment, but you know, what's, what's a tactical thing you would uh, coach them on, on how to facilitate the intercultural piece of, of that experience? What does that actually look like on the ground? Well, I think a lot of professors might, you know, take students abroad and think, oh, this is about teaching biology and using the environment of Costa Rica to do that. And think about your own experiences abroad. Where is learning happening? It's not just in the biology classroom or even the lab. It's in the, I'm struggling to get the words to say what I want to say. Uh, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now because I don't know what's going on around me. So there's a lot of like emotional experiences that can also lead to learning or can lead to negative experiences or uh, stereotyping the people around you. And so facilitating intercultural learning is really about helping students reflect on the full experience they're having, like all the different areas, uh, their emotional experiences, their physical reactions to things as well. And going, what, what assumptions are really driving my feelings and my behavior here? Where do those come from? What is that? How is that tied to my values and my beliefs? Uh, and, and how might things be different here? And why might they be different? And really starting to understand in a deeper way how like we are cultural beings. We were implicitly formed a certain way without us even realizing it because of where we were raised and how we were raised and other people might go about things very differently. So I try to help educators help students learn from the full experience. And most educators don't know how to do that. They're an expert in their field, but aren't an expert at asking a student like, why do you think you feel that way? What does that say about your values? Where is that coming from? So it's really about facilitating a lot of reflective conversation and then helping students sort of make sense of what they're experiencing and take away some learning that they can test out or try in, in new situations. I think the way I would summarize what you just said is instead of being really good at having the answer for students is getting much better asking good questions for students. And facilitating someone else's personal learning journey. Yeah. It's not about taking what you know and depositing it into students' minds, but it's about, yeah, asking the right questions and encouraging them, supporting but also challenging them. That's one thing I talk about a lot, balancing like challenge and support. 
some students need more, some, so, some need more challenge, some need more support mm -hmm. uh, to get them to really be in the learning zone and then take advantage of it. That's really encouraging to hear and how you can be very um, intentional about it. It's interesting because Natalie Garrett and I created the study abroad journal and our intention mm -hmm. with that was also to sort of create these little moments for students to sort of like, what went, what, what did I enjoy about today? So they could just sort of document the experience. And then by the time they're ready to kind of start extrapolating some meaning from the experience, they had a record, you know, they, you know, they had the research, the original research to go back to and mm -hmm. say, oh, like, on May 7th, I was, I was saying Spain sucks and it's the worst place ever. What was going on there? Like, what, what will I remember about today is the other question we ask. They say, oh yeah, I got spit on. I don't know, like something stupid happened that day. And then like, what, what was going on there? And I think there is like, there is a misperception that a lot of people have that intercultural learning is just learning about other cultures. Mm. Um, when it's really a personal development journey, and interaction with different cultures is kind of the, the impetus. That's what helps you enter this personal development journey. And also then learning to interact more effectively with people from different cultural backgrounds, which doesn't just mean different countries. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we need this within our, our own country for sure, as we've seen during the last year, year and a half, and even before that. Um, but it's really about, yeah, learning to process those experiences uh, in better, more holistic ways. Uh, so you will hear the words intercultural learning, I think, used in a way that's a lot more simplistic, but I take a very holistic approach to mm -hmm. it. Let's talk then, let's get more granular down to like the actual practice of mm -hmm. um, international programs, for instance. So how does universities and organizations need to be combining these two of the logistical mechanism going to a new place or a new culture? And that obviously now could be digitally going, but also physically. And, and what is the interplay between the intercultural learning and like the on the ground, boots on the ground experience? Like what do you, is kind of their first steps in making this, this happen? So for years, our assumption was you send students to other countries uh, and they learn interculturally. Yeah. Uh, we maybe Just didn't use this. In yeah. France and you have learn. an experience and that leads to intercultural learning, yeah. uh, greater cultural understanding, peace, diplomacy, etc. But there is now significant research that just being exposed to or even immersed in another culture does not make you more interculturally competent. And there's research that if that experience is coupled with intentional and skilled facilitation, it can make very big impacts in people's intercultural development. And that doesn't have to be in another country. If you have significant intercultural experience, even within your own community, coupled with intentional facilitation, it can lead to greater development. So I think there's just too much knowledge and information now to disconnect those two, to ha mm -hmm. be, be providing intercultural experiences without support and intentional facilitation. So they mm -hmm. need to go hand in hand these days. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things are more like on a very brass tacks, like we're showing all of our, our warts and ugly bits of the last year um, in global education. And I feel like it's, it's 
what the work that you're doing are encouraging that to, to be a, a, a cornerstone element of these programs. I think it's something that honestly, I'm sure has happened in some ways, but I feel like it needs to be the thing that we, how we add value as professionals. This is our ROI. Uh, this is how we sing for our supper, as I like to say, is like how mm -hmm. we justify our offices and our salaries and the prices that we charge students for these experiences. Like it's really hard to separate like the cost of a, you know, the traditional study abroad semester and then the outcomes, the learning outcomes, but we didn't do anything in the between hand to like facilitate that specific outcome outside of the classroom. And I think often that, you know, talking with young people, my, my niece and nephews are in high school and college now. So I feel like I'm on the front lines of the TikTok culture and, you know, they're, they just don't, they're just like, yeah, but why would I pay to just go to, to France? So I would I pay $15,000 just to go to France? Like, I don't get why that's valuable. And um, when, you know, they can go on YouTube and get a full itinerary and backpack around on their own and easy jet and all the things. And there's like, why did I, I don't need that. Uh, and so I just feel like th this is something that is really important in our field. And I think maybe for a long time, we've kind of rested on our laurels of like, well, study abroad is great. International education is lovely. Everyone should do it. And not really having to put it, you know, the oomph behind it to show mm -hmm. why it's truly important. And I think this type of work is what makes it a special experience versus just booking a flight to France and bumming yeah. around for. And the coronavirus has highlighted that we can't rely on just moving bodies around right. the world right. and kind of force people to say, that doesn't mean intercultural learning is, isn't valuable because intercultural learning is interacting and communicating effectively and appropriately with people who are different from us. Mm -hmm. We need that even when we are just in Zoom calls. Yeah. So we have had to, during the past year, year and a half, try to figure out how to foster intercultural learning in the absence of international education, which I think is really great because before people mm -hmm. just relied on that uh, movement and thought mm -hmm. that that led to intercultural learning. And so this has kind of created a reason to focus on intercultural learning more than we did before because the thing that we thought was producing it is gone. As somebody else this weekend asked me too because they knew I worked in higher ed. They're like, why do we have to do all these gen ed requirements? This is so dumb. Like, why can't I just go to college and like learn to be an accountant and move on with my life? And and I was like, it's a valid question. And But I, a lot of times it's this piece that it's, and it's so intangible, which is probably the most frustrating piece is like, but what is the true value to me being able to have this dynamic interplay of intercultural awareness and questioning and reflection in my my day-to-day -day job as a CPA. I think a lot of people are like, but but why does that matter? And I think then if you just up-level it to like greater society or what's happening in your larger community, you can be like, yeah, if more of the people around us had a little bit of that intercultural awareness and an ability to navigate it in a constructive way, the differences and the disagreements, then um, maybe we'd all be a little better <laughs> for sure and e even that cpa e everybody interacts with other people people who are different from them yeah we all can benefit from doing that more effectively and appropriately not just because then the others are better off but we're better off we have better relationships mm -hmm. uh, and can be more successful in our work or whatever we're doing yeah i totally totally agree give us a teaser of what you're going to break down in the workshop. 
a framework or a methodology that uh, might be helpful or interesting to, to get them to come to this workshop so they can learn more. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go into all of this a little bit more in depth. Obviously, like you said, it's it's an hour. We can only go into so much depth. But one of the things that I'll be talking about is a four-phase framework for intercultural learning, which I use in all of my programs. And so I, I teach educators how to facilitate others' intercultural learning. So we use this framework for educators thinking about their own growth, but then also thinking about how do we design uh, curriculum and activities, whether they're you know an orientation or a study abroad program or anything like that, so that we were we are helping students develop in these different areas. So I'll share kind of four different areas where we need to be thinking about developing ourselves and for students in order to become more interculturally competent. I'm so excited for this four steps. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about my jam, which is more of like the career track side of intercultural learning as a vertical or a thing that people can see like, oh, I want to do this type of work in our field. I feel like it's still kind of new and fresh and, and a little bit of a murky ground because it kind of touches all the areas of what we do in international ed. But what do you feel like is the career forecast for somebody who's really like, this is really fascinating. I want to specialize in intercultural learning. I think specializing in intercultural learning right now is going to open a lot of doors for someone in the international education space and expand your, your potential reach beyond international education as well. I do see more and more campuses kind of bridging between diversity, equity, and inclusion work and intercultural work and looking for people that kind of understand those ideas and concepts and more folks are bringing people like me in-house. Uh, they want to have an intercultural specialist who can help with all of their programs. So I think intercultural learning, online learning, these are, are spaces that uh, international education offices are going to be looking for people who are skilled and can, can lead them in these areas. So just on a brass tacks, if somebody's doing an informational interview with you about becoming an intercultural trainer or specialist of some kind, what's your go-to advice when it comes to going to grad school, not going to grad school, finding a role in this? How do they position this particular interest or specialty? I think grad school. Yeah. <laughs> focusing on your own intercultural learning and growth mm -hmm. intentionally. And that doesn't just mean like living abroad, but doing uh, trainings and things that will help you develop your own intercultural competence. There's something called the, the intercultural development inventory, which is an assessment that you can take that helps you figure out where you are on your own intercultural development journey and what you should focus on. So we use that, for example, in, in the train the trainer program that I run. I think it's really helpful for educators to understand their strengths and challenges in the process. As far as graduate degrees, I mean, I, I have a lot of them, so I'm, I'm definitely not against it. But I think it's really, really important that you are going into a graduate degree because there is something you are passionate about learning more about and exploring. I did two masters where I was kind of just 
winging it as far as like trying to make the program what I wanted it to be like, oh, they don't have a specialization in this, but I could piecemeal some courses together and explain to a professor what it is that I'm interested in. That wasn't necessarily the best experience, uh, but the PhD where I went, because I knew that I was passionate about something, I had a question I wanted to pursue and there was somebody there who was already pursuing that and who could help me like, have opportunities to pursue it in a better way. Uh, that experience was, uh, you know, career defining for sure for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, it can't be about the letters. It can't be about the job that you think you get because you have those letters, but it needs to be about a, a specialization or an area of expertise that you really want to cultivate. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Preach, preach. Agree <laughs> with everything Tara just said. Tell us uh, where people can find you and to learn more about your work and get involved in your other training programs. You mentioned the train the trainer experience. Where can people learn more about you? Yeah, well, our website is truenorthintercultural.com. There are a lot of good resources there, information about uh, our, we have two online programs, uh, an online course that's kind of self-paced and then a 12 week train the trainer cohort based program. Um, and then we also partner with universities. Uh, I go to universities and do trainings or wider capacity building projects. Mm -hmm. So there and on social media, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me uh, on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for being here. The last thing I will say, you know, when it comes to this like intercultural learning and reflection piece um, as professionals, when we, we talk about, we ask students, you know, I've heard a lot of people say over the years, things like, oh, it's so frustrating when a student's like, it was awesome, right? And they haven't done any of the work to really suss it out and give you that juicy answer that we're all craving because we want it to justify all the effort and work that we put into these programs. And I always say to people, it's like, if you can't answer the question either, then you probably have some work to do too, in terms of being able to suss out why, why was it awesome? Like, how was it? And, and really framing your own story and reflective sort of script, if you will. I studied abroad in Switzerland in 2001 and here why, here's what, what I learned from that experience. If I can't answer that question myself, then I can't get down on students for saying it was awesome. <laughs> and I work with a ton of educators who have a lot of international and intercultural experience. And when they go through the programs, they say, oh my gosh, I am just processing my own experiences for the first time. I never really thought about this, or I, I learned so much more from that experience now, 20 years later, from going through this, this reflection and really connecting these frameworks to the experiences I had. So yeah, you have to do the work yourself if you want to ask students to do the work and really understand how, how to help them do that. You know, kind of, sorry, I know we already said thank you, <laughs> goodbye, but I'm like, gotta keep going. But one of the things I think is really interesting here and just kind of spinning off of what you just said is that I think this, the, the naming of it in terms of intercultural learning, intercultural facilitation, these types of, this type of terminology is so, wonderful because I feel like one it sounds more legit and two like I feel like when people hear the word reflection they're just like oh don't make me like dear diary myself and like 
reflect like what does that mean i mean really it is reflection it's what's happening but instead of calling it oh reflect on your experience uh re-entry reflection all those types of things it's more i i like this terminology of intercultural yeah. learning and yeah. facilitation as, a, as opposed to reflection and it's more than reflection because a lot of right. people get stuck there and okay. you have to move around this experiential learning cycle, which maybe we should talk about in the workshop and move beyond reflection and help students like make meaning of the experiences they had, like figure out why did that happen? Why did I respond that way? Uh, you know, and, and how can I use what I've learned from that experience mm -hmm. in the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess in my mind, I think all of that process is the reflection piece, but you're right. Yeah. Like it yeah. is, there's this piece and then, uh, yeah. So is that, is that Kolb, the making meaning thing? So it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. Okay, great. Well, I'm super excited for this workshop too now. <laughs> I can't wait. So I will have the link to that. If you guys just want to get on the email list so you know when this is happening for sure, just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash workshop. You'll sign up for my workshop, which is about career stuff, but you'll be on the list and you'll know when Tara's doing hers, which I'm really excited for. And I'll have everything linked up in the show notes uh, below this episode. So thank you so much for taking the time, Tara. Yeah, thanks for having me.